starting in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lisa. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, glad that no one got caught out by the daylight savings. I've been yawning all morning. I feel sorry for, for Sky, who just must think I'm a wreck. Just sitting next to me while we're praying, and I'm just going, no, I'm with you. I heard everything you said, Rob, and I'm totally with you. <laughs> Man, just lose one hour. What a lightweight. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be here. I'm going to pray that... Um, we can, uh, we can just hear from God this morning and, uh, and be changed and shaped by what he has to say to us through his word. So let's do that. Lord, thank you so much that you do speak to us, that you are here with us, uh, that you um, want to change us and point us to your son Christ again and again and again. Uh, please do that crucial work in and among us this morning, we ask. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, with Rob and April's new arrival recently, which is very exciting, I thought that I would show you some of my childhood photos. And, uh, and kids, we've got a few kids here this morning, just want you to keep in mind that say in another 20 years, you're going to look back at your childhood photos, some when you are very young, and you're going to think, I can't believe that mum or dad made me wear that. <laughs> All right, for example... I used to have very red hair, and this is the 80s fashion. Uh, now we move to the 1990s. Here we go. Double denim. Um, there's a, we have a birthday party for Nicole Wakely, the Savo, which is 90s themed. Unfortunately, it doesn't fit anymore, so I can't do that one. Uh, here is, it's a less funny one. It's just a nice one, isn't it? Here's me with my dad, um, having a great time. Um, and then here is me with my family, with my dad and my mum. And, uh, you know, a healthy, happy, well-adjusted child, part of a, a happy family. Now, I'm going to show you one more photo. Maybe you've seen these before, but uh, I'm going to show you one more. And in this photo, there are a couple of differences. Just want to see if you can notice them. Now, uh, one difference is going to be that I'm sitting with my grandpa, so it won't be that my dad has suddenly got like 40 years older. But uh, see if you can see what's different. <laughs> what's one difference that you notice? There's a new arrival, my little brother Ryan. Yes, and what else do you think is different? <laughs> Not happy 
at all. In fact, when we got Ryan home, who's three years younger than me, uh, apparently my first words were, can we take that baby back? <laughs> it's, so, it's so brothers, isn't it? <laughs> it's, so, it's actually so much our experience of family. Um, sometimes, isn't it? Because my brother and I, unfortunately, it got worse from here. <laughs> we were very different kids. Uh, my my hobby was sitting down and reading quietly. I was that sort of child, a bit shy. His hobby was literally having tantrums, like he would run around and just yell. Um, he's a lovely guy now, so don't judge him on that. But as a kid, he was a terror. Um, I loved just being, you know, polite. I was that child, you know, polite and cautious and just very sort of savvy about those things and he was rude and yelled and ran around and didn't think twice about things. Now we of course get along a whole lot better these days as you can see in the wedding photos. <laughs> um, maybe the one on the left doesn't give the indication that we get along well. Uh, but but we do, we do, we do that because we, we jest. Um, so. He's trying not to score some flowers. Thank you, Sally. That's right. <laughs> no, we get along real well. In fact, we're, we're going away together uh, for the weekend in a couple of weeks. I'm really looking forward to that because, sincerely, I, I love my time with my brother. But um, I think that that little sort of panorama of childhood and then growing up and things kind of getting better is, is pretty, uh, like, emblematic of our experience of family, isn't it? Like, sometimes there are ups and sometimes there are downs. Sometimes we get along and sometimes we don't. And that's just family. In fact, that's, that's part of being in a church family too. Uh, sometimes we treat each other well and sometimes we don't. Uh, just like in a, a normal family, which opens us to some of the most enriching, encouraging, affirming, loving, caring experiences and relationships of our life. And... Being part of a family opens us to some of the most disheartening, annoying, hurtful, discouraging experiences of our life. And just think about, across like our 8.30 and our 10.30 service, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you're calling this church your home, then this is your family. This is your family. Uh, with a, a bond that is in fact thicker than blood because we've been purchased by Jesus Christ and, and brought into not only this family, but the worldwide family of God across all time, but then this is the local expression of that. And this church, just like any family, is full of wonderful, encouraging, caring, annoying, discouraging, disheartening people. Isn't that true? Because when Christ saves us, he doesn't make us clean up our act first, does he? He takes us as we are, the sinners that we are. And then immediately we're brought from one kingdom into another, as we've been looking at in Colossians, and we're brought from the world into a new family, just as we are, which means sometimes we treat each other well and sometimes we don't. And so today, we're going to look at how to be a better family. How do we be a better family? And Colossians has kind of moved in this direction of, of starting with the glory of Jesus and all that he is as God and as God's son and the only saviour and the only Lord. So we've started there. It's this huge vision of who Christ is and what he's done. And then it sort of moves to uh, the practical stuff here in chapter 3. Set your mind on things above. 
Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on earthly things. Right, we're getting practical now. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, put sin to death. So the Lord says to us all as individuals, go, uh, since you've been raised with Christ, go and put sin to death. But now he moves and says, well, let me talk to you about your role together. So not just you under Christ, but all of you together, one family under Christ. And he has so much to say on this. You might have heard as Lisa read, there's this phrase, one another, that's used over and over again in this passage. Did you hear it? Do not lie to one another, verse 9. Take a look in your Bible there, Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Jump down to verse 13. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other or one another. Teach and admonish, verse 16. Teach and admonish one another. Do you hear how the, the emphasis here has shifted? And now it's all about one another, our family and our role within that. And look, if you track with this today, how to be a better family, then it could absolutely transform your experience of being part of this church and the experience of other people around you. Because God's word shows us how to be the kind of family that you simply cannot find anywhere else in the world. It's absolutely true. And how crucial that we become this sort of family at a time like this where there's so much isolation and so much disconnection. Here's the headline, and kids, I want you to notice two big words on the screen here as you see this. Members of God's family choose to love one another despite the difference and the cost. And all of us, kids especially, notice those two big words, difference and cost. Loving one another within God's family requires loving people who are very different. And it often requires paying some sort of cost. It often requires doing hard things. And God's word shows us in light of the gospel, in light of who Christ is, how to do that well. That's what we're going to learn today. And I've said this to a couple of kids coming in, but this is good advice for everyone. Um, but kids particularly, I want you to think of one good question that you can ask me after this sermon today. Okay, think of one good question. I want it to be a good one, uh, and I'll try to answer that about what you hear. So just be thinking as you're listening, what's one good question you can ask, and anyone can do that if you want. You don't have to be under 12, but uh, kids particularly. So take this in two parts, difference and cost. Verse 11, come in with me, Colossians 3. Before we read this, it is just worth thinking, are there actually significant differences amongst people in God's family? Are there actually significant differences? Because maybe this is just like, you know, a club, like any sort of club, a soccer club, where if you like soccer, you all get together and you're all the same sort of person because you all like soccer. Or maybe it's like a rotary club. You all like volunteering. So if you like volunteering, you're part of the club and everyone's just the same in that sense. Is that what church is like? Think about the city of Colossae, which is the ones to whom this letter was written. The city of Colossae is a lot more like Sydney than the Central Coast. It is very cosmopolitan. It's a, a melting pot of lots of different kinds of people. Uh, ethnically, 
The city of Colossae has a significant population of Jews, uh, a huge population of Greek people, Gentiles, uh, as well as other nationalities like Phrygians and so on. It's part of the Roman Empire, so there's lots of different people sort of rubbing shoulders. Uh, you've got, in terms of beliefs, some of these communities are, are organized around like whether they hold the Old Testament to be true or whether they worship the Roman emperor, right? So different religions. There's even something called an angel cult where they worship angels. So you imagine like all these different beliefs around, actually quite similar to our world today. Uh, socioeconomically, there are people from the lower echelons of society and the higher. It, it's not like this is a poor city or a rich city. It is both. You find both slaves and free estate owners living in this city in large numbers. There's a lot of variety. And when the church starts in Colossae, just picture that there are people from all these different groups that have now just been grabbed together and thrust into this one new family. What do you think they need to hear? They need to hear verse 11. Take a look at it. Verse 11. Here, oh, there it is. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And just think about the implications of that for these people that have been drawn from all these groups in Colossae, right? Jews and Gentiles. At this point in history, what did people of the Jewish faith tend to think about those who were outside the Gentiles? What did they think about them? Say again. Unclean. That's right. Impure. They eat the wrong sorts of foods, the foods that God has said not to eat. They wear the wrong sorts of clothes, clothes made from things that God has said, don't, don't do that, right? And so it would be very rare for a Jewish person to sit at a table with a Gentile person and share a meal, let alone do life together. Then think about differences of belief systems, right? It says here uncircumcised and circumcised. Well, you've got two different belief systems represented there. Those that think the Old Testament still holds sway, circumcision, and those who say, well, no, it doesn't, or maybe it does in a different way, uncircumcision. And often again, that's Jews versus Greeks. Uh, you've got as well, a barbarian and Scythian. Now, I don't know what pops to your mind when you hear the word barbarian, uh, but uh, I'm a bit of a linguistics nerd, so is my wife, uh, and so we like looking up um, what are the, the meanings behind words. Do you know where barbarian comes from? Yeah, that's it. Sky knows. She told me this, I think. Uh, barbarian um, is, uh, is officially speaking, a definition of barbarian is someone who speaks a different language to that of the Roman Empire. Right, so they don't speak Greek or it's not their native language. If they speak Greek, it's maybe with an accent. All right? And for someone who speaks native Greek and they're part of the Roman Empire, they then hear this person who doesn't speak their language or speaks it a bit weird and all they hear is bar, 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 bar. Barbarian. Right? <laughs> Imagine someone part of the Roman Empire who's like, I speak the right language. And they hear a barbarian chatting along beside them. What are they going to think? Ruffian. I don't want anything to do with you. 
And they certainly wouldn't want anything to do with the Scythians, the Bogans of the ancient world. Seriously. Right, these are the sort of people today that would have like, they're in the quiet carriage and they've got their phone on loudspeaker and they're blasting music. You know the one who does that? Yep. Uh, that's the Scythian of, uh, of Paul's day. Okay, they put their feet up on the table. They eat with their mouths open. They're rude. They have different standards. Again, imagine refined Roman people and barbarians and Scythians. And then you've got slave and free. Now, if you are a free estate owner, you would not sit down for a meal with slaves, especially your slaves. Right? That would be like saying we're equal and we're not. So look at all these differences that Paul says collapse in light of the gospel in light of who Christ is. Imagine, as it were, that you're walking through the city of Colossae and you hear a commotion coming from a certain house, right? And you sort of surreptitiously peek in the window to see what's going on. And what you notice takes your breath away, makes you do like a, a double take. You need to look twice. Because here's what you see. You see Jew and Gentile sitting down together at a table, sharing a meal. This doesn't happen. This is the ultimate faux pas. You see barbarians and Greek speakers, native Roman citizens, talking together, laughing together. They appear to be friends you see Scythians with their feet up on the table, chewing with their mouth open, next to cultured Roman artisans. They seem to be enjoying themselves. You see free estate owners serving food to slaves. What have you got to conclude? Especially as you listen in to what's causing all the commotion. It's not because they're arguing. It's actually because they're discussing the word of God. They're discussing the things that they have just heard as someone has gotten up and preached on this Sunday morning. They're talking together about Christ. You could only conclude that Jesus has done this because there is no family like this in the rest of the world. There is no group like this in the rest of the world. You would have to conclude, as Paul does here, that Christ is all and Christ is in all. Because for this family of people, they're saying um, what was once different about us and still to, in many ways is, is less important than what we now have in common, which is Christ and his gospel. Christ who now in fact lives in each one of us through the Holy Spirit and lives among us by the Holy Spirit as we are now a new family in him. It's incredible. It really puts on display actually the all-sufficiency of Christ, doesn't it? We've been using that as the headline for this series, Colossians, the all-sufficiency of Christ. It really puts that on display because what has Jesus come to do? That's a good question to ask. How would you answer that? What has Jesus come to do? Has he come to save us from our sins? Yes, I hope you can say yes to that. Yes, yes, he has. Is that all he's done? No, 
He's come to do more than that. Take a look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, take a look at it. Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. It says this. Otherwise, I've got it on the screen for you. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. And we might hear that and go, oh, that's lovely. That's like, ah, like sentimental. Like, ah, I've got peace. That's not the kind of peace this is talking about, though. It's talking about peace between people. It's actually talking about peace between Jews and Gentiles. That's the context. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, made one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the thing that once kept Jew from Gentile, that kept this nation from that nation, this ethnicity from that ethnicity, broken down in Christ. How? by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is such an incredible thing that Jesus has done. This goes beyond just personal salvation. This goes to reconciliation. This goes to being part of a family where once there was hostility and separation, or could have been, but now there is actually unity of a kind that is so much deeper than anything in the world can offer. In fact, just think about something like the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment. And I know as soon as I say that, people are like, oh, don't go there. <laughs> but no, think about it. What's the real answer to something like systemic racism? What's the real answer to something like Black Lives Matter and, and this, the protests and everything? Is it protests? Well, there's a place for protests. Is it to say blue lives matter or all lives matter? Well, all lives do matter. But those aren't really the answers. The answer is Jesus. I know that sounds trite, but the answer really is Jesus. It's the gospel. Because look at what Christ does. He destroys the dividing wall of hostility and makes a new family, a new humanity in which there is no place for racism. This is the answer. It's Christ. And not just in terms of race. We have plenty of differences even in our church family today. One of those is ethnicity and praise God for that. Uh, another, of course, is uh, language background, which kind of goes with that often. But... Other things too, like age, is a significant difference and sometimes has a dividing wall associated with it, doesn't it? Because there's a lifetime of experiences that sometimes sets you apart from people that are, that are different in age to you. It might be socioeconomic status, financial capacity. Again, that can be a bit of a, a dividing wall as people look down on each other or make assumptions about each other. Uh, there can be even just things like interests and hobbies, right? Uh, there are some low lives in this church who, unlike me, don't enjoy watching the soccer, right? And I was hoping that Nigel would be here this morning so I could just at least be like, no, see Nigel, like, oh my goodness, isn't it horrible? But he's not here, so I'm just all on my own. Um, <laughs> but there are some serious things, like deeper things, like political differences. Like when I started talking about Black Lives Matter a second ago, some of you, was, you guys are like, oh, I hope he says the thing. I hope he says that protests are wrong. Right? I hope he says that those, those people that say that blue lives matter, oh, they've lost the plot. Right? 
I didn't say either of those things, did I? Political division is actually such a significant thing today and again can have that dividing wall of hostility to it. You know, sometimes our differences aren't a big deal. Sometimes they very much are. And they result in anything from misunderstanding to annoyance to ongoing grudges. And so for many of us, if I can say, it's easier just to clump together with people that are more like us. Same age, same ethnicity, same opinions about stuff. But when we choose to love each other and serve each other and know each other and worship with one another despite our differences, it presents this powerful picture of who Christ is and what the gospel accomplishes, doesn't it? All for our church to express that all the more. These are the people. In fact, I could say look around. You don't have to. Uh, partially also because it's 8.30 as well. But these are the people who God has drawn you together with if indeed you trust in Christ. These are the people who he has drawn you into family with. Even for all their difference. And I wonder how you feel about that. Maybe you recognize the challenge of that. It's good, if so. Uh, maybe you're actually stoked about that. Like you're, you're like, yeah, bring it on. Like, viva la difference. This, that's great. Hopefully I said that right. Um, what I will say is this. If you're, if you're stoked about that and, and you think that that's really cool, um, what is your experience of church like as a result? And maybe you hear me talking about like all these different differences between people and how that can create hard scenarios. And you go, oh no, I've never experienced that. I, I just think it's great that we've got lots of different people here. Let me make a suggestion. Perhaps your experience of church is so easy because you're keeping those people at arm's length. You know what I mean? A bit like how a a colleague or a co-worker can be kept at arm's length. You say, how you going? You work on some stuff together. You, you might even serve in this context in a ministry team together or whatever. But um, they're sort of, they're kept over here. They're not really part of life with you. you know, it's quite possible that their differences don't get to you because you're not getting close to them. Imagine if you were, there'd be a lot of joy, probably some difficulty too. Now we're not a big church, um, but, but just think about the people that you know well here. Just think about like the top two, three, four. How many of them are very different to you? In a couple of weeks, uh, we've got a chance to gather together in smaller groups, like Sky was saying, after AGM. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, just getting to hang out with, with people that maybe I haven't gotten to hang out with as much lately. Um, just one idea, wherever you're at with this, is what if you put your name down to hang out with some people that are really quite different to you? Again, we're not a big family, but there are plenty of people here to connect with. Um, and I know this just seems very trite. It's like, some of you are just like, oh, that's so basic. Like, <laughs> that's the application you're giving us to this glorious gospel thing. Like, really? Yeah, but basics are good. Basics are good. Take one step with this. What if you put your name down with some people that you don't normally connect with? It doesn't have to be weird. If we all do it, it works. 
And if we take this seriously, uh, we can actually offer something to each other as a church family and to the world that, if I can say, many larger churches can't. Because we actually do have the freedom to meet when many other churches are finding that very difficult. And so we've got a unique opportunity to express this kind of gospel-shaped love across our differences because we can physically meet and therefore we can also show that reality to the world. What will you do to invite someone into your life and your journey with Jesus? Now that's one part of the equation. Um, As God's family, we choose to love one another despite the difference and does anyone remember what the other big word was? The difference and the cost. Good. Come to verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with each other, and so on and so on. We'll get to the rest. Um, Just notice at the start of verse 12, put on. Paul uses this language, put on. Uh, The NIV uh, calls it clothe yourself. And there is that sense behind it, clothe yourself with these qualities. He's used this language elsewhere in Colossians, hasn't he? Uh, If you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, you've heard this language before, where he said, um, uh, put off whatever is sinful. And he talks about various kinds of speech. Put off those things, like take off those that shirt, as it were. Uh, and then he also says, you have put off the sinful nature, the old self, and you have put on the new self, which is Christ. Right. So he's talking. He's he's sort of drawing a line through these things. He's saying, I'm continuing that train of thought. You've put off sin. You've put off the the old self. You're a new person in Christ now. If you have faith in Him, and therefore clothe yourself or put on then these qualities why does he use this particular language though why why clothe yourself why use that image or maybe for two reasons one is because uh, if you think of this if you if you are now clothed with christ you have put on the new self then there is a new wardrobe there's a new wardrobe there are new clothes to wear that fit the person who is now in Christ. It's like the old clothes don't fit anymore. Here's the new clothes that do fit if you are in Christ. Putting on these things won't save you. They don't make you right before God. You've already been saved by faith in Christ. But now that you've been saved, wear the clothes that fit. So there is that sense. But there's maybe a a second sense as well. Uh, which is because these things don't happen automatically. Like, get up in the morning, clothes don't just fall on our bodies, do they? Uh, We have to put them on like one agonizing leg at a time, right? Oh, I lost an hour of sleep last night. We're not not at the... Exactly. (laughs) We're we're not at the point where where this... Like, technology only has come so far. I don't know if you've seen Wallace and Gromit, I, uh, we were talking about this the other day, uh, the, the claymation one where Wallace has this invention that flings him out of bed and then it puts his pants on for him. And all. Like, technology's only come so far. We'll get there one day maybe, but we're not there yet. So uh, maybe Paul uses this, this metaphor of clothe yourselves because it takes intentionality. It takes effort. And it's an everyday thing. It's not just a one and done. Let's look at how to do this well. 
Um, we're going to look at each of these qualities, and what I'm going to do is connect them back to the gospel and show us how to do it in the context of church family. So first up is compassion, and I've put them here on a shirt, right? You can order this online if you want when it's all done. But I'll put them here on a shirt just to show us this is the stuff we clothe ourselves with. This is the wardrobe that fits, that sometimes requires a cost because it's intentional. Compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Now, uh, compassion is a feeling, as we know. Um, you see someone going through tough, something tough, and you feel something for them. You feel sympathy or empathy or, or connection or grief or whatever it is. That's compassion. So think about uh, the person that you become aware in our church family has just lost someone close to them. And you go, oh. Or you think about the person who's just lost their job. What happens inside you? Do you feel something when you hear that from a brother or sister? Compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion as the Son of God, as someone who perfectly represents what the new humanity is meant to be. Jesus looked upon the crowds of people broken, in need of healing, most of all, in need of restoration of their relationship with God. And he had compassion. Uh, think about when, for example, uh, there's that crowd of 5,000 people, right? Um, and, uh, and it says that Jesus has been doing just crazy work hours, if you want. He's been doing ministry day and night. And it says that he needs to rest because Jesus was fully man and fully God. He needed rest. And just like us, he's like, I, I just need a good night's sleep. Okay? And so he, he goes off by himself with his closest friends, his disciples. They find a solitary place. and They're like, finally, we can just drop the bundle and rest for a bit. And then this crowd of 5,000 people who've been following about the place rock up. And as it were, they're knocking on the door saying, can you please still teach us? In fact, not 5,000 people, 5,000 men, because that's how they counted things back then. So plus women, plus children, right? And they all just occupy this hill. And what would you do if you saw that? I'd be going, oh my goodness, because you know how I am with sleep. Oh my goodness. Jesus looks upon the crowd and it says, the text says, he had compassion on them. He felt for them, even when he was bone tired. There's another scene where it says he looks out on the crowd and sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd because that is what they are without God. And he has compassion on them. What's your response when someone shares their struggles with you as part of this family? Maybe at times, if we're caught on the wrong day, our response is something like, ah, oh, you should just get over it. Maybe we don't say that, but that's, that's the feeling that's in there. You should just get over it. It's not a big deal. It might be a big deal to them. Or we just go, I'm too busy with my own stuff. Consider the example of Jesus. Consider that Jesus had compassion on us and so went to the cross. Now, compassion is the feeling, but kindness is its action, right? Um, having a feeling can just be sentimental, but converting it into action is when we know that the feeling is genuine. Compassion leads to kindness. It's stepping towards someone in need, right? So someone in our family has just had a baby, um, and I don't want to single out the Jenners with that, but just 
hypothetically, someone has a baby, right, then uh, maybe they need a meal. I know this is basics, but like thinking, all right, I have compassion for them because, wow, that's tough in the early stages. What could I do that would be kind to them? Maybe uh, you're aware that someone in our family is unwell, they've got kids, and so you think, well, could I give an arvo to go and look after the kids? I'll bring a brother or sister with me and we can take the kids down to the park if they trust us and know us. And Wow, that, that could be a really helpful thing. Uh, maybe you're aware someone's lost a job and you feel compassion for them and you think, gee, I'm just going to ask them what their situation is like now. And maybe if they need any help, I could maybe help them in some way. Maybe at the very least I could sit with them and pray with them. Right? And there is a cost to this, isn't it? Kindness, real kindness, often does have a cost. Uh, making the meal, right, takes time, takes money, takes energy. Um, looking after the kids, buying enough leashes for all of the kids when you take them down, right, there's a cost. Um, sitting down to pray with someone has a cost to it, not only in the time, but some of us are actually quite introverted and find that very awkward. We think, I would not want to do that with someone, even though I, I like them, like, oh. There's a cost to pushing through that awkwardness barrier and saying, I'm going to do it anyway. This is kindness. Again, consider the example of Jesus and consider his, his kindness, God's kindness to us in sending his son Jesus, not just going, oh, those poor people down there, but taking the ultimate step of sending his only son to die for us. Wow, what kindness. Then meekness. Oh, sorry, humility. Humility is the next one. Getting ahead of myself. Now, um, there was a, it's interesting, this is, this is a little historical tidbit. In Colossae, there's an attitude called philotimia. Uh, that's the Greek word for it, from philo, meaning I love. Timia is honor or status, love of status. That was the big thing in the Roman Empire. I'm a Roman citizen, right? Look at me, I'm wearing the badge. Philotimia, love of status. Uh, and so everything that you do is about like, look at me wearing the badge, look how good I am who you befriend and reject, who you marry often, the job that you have. Uh, even if you do something generous, like giving money to the poor or whatever, you want to try and do it in a way that you know people are watching so that your status will improve. Philotimia. Humility is the opposite of philotimia. It's the opposite of a love of status. It's not thinking less important of ourselves, because we're all important in, in a way of speaking, um, but it's thinking about ourselves less, thinking about our own status less and thinking instead of others more. Consider again the example of Jesus in this. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about, it says, in your relationships have this mindset amongst yourselves, that uh, Christ Jesus left his place in heaven. I'm just paraphrasing this, but he left his place in heaven um, and what's it say? He took the form of a servant. He became nothing, becoming a human. He became nothing, not considering his equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, a thing to be used to his own advantage, but instead became nothing, took the form of a servant, and died even on a cross. That's humility for God for whom anyone, like anyone in the world could say, everything is about my status and my glorification. God has that right. 
but he sends his son in the most humble of circumstances to die for us. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's humility. We clothe ourselves with humility every time we choose to say, other people in this family are more important than my needs, right? Even that person who, che- who cheeses me off and you know who you are, not really. But even that person who cheeses me off or that I find annoying again and again or who's just always pushes my buttons, I'm actually here to serve them. I'm here to serve them. That's part of being the, in the family of Christ. Now, these next couple of qualities, we've just got a couple more, are so crucial to being able to do that humility piece really well. Okay, so meekness or gentleness. Uh, the opposite of this, of course, is harshness. Um, you know, when you, you spit words at someone because they've hurt you, uh, perhaps it's like you've got this, this sort of frustration that simmers up in anger and then just comes out in these harsh words at them or about them. Uh, like when you shake up a, a soft drink can or a soft drink bottle and it, you move the lid and pff, out it all comes. Um, meekness or gentleness is where we diffuse our frustration. And I want you to hear this bit. This is really important. It's a little bit wordy, but really important. We take the intentional, costly step of swallowing our own self-importance and unmet expectations. Little bit wordy, but grab what I'm saying there. We take the intentional, clothe ourselves, costly step, but they did this, costly step, of swallowing our own self-importance. They're more important than I am. And unmet expectations. They should have done this, yep. I'm going to consider them more important than I am. And instead of spitting words at them or about them, I will speak about them and to them gently. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't confront sin, right? Verse 16, take a look. Paul says that we should teach and admonish one another in light of God's word. So we should confront sin where we see it, but we don't do that in a way that's about venting our frustrations, you know, pouring the soft drink out. We don't do it in a way that's manipulating the other person to feel bad so that now everything's okay because I felt bad and they felt bad. We do it in such a way that's actually still about building them up because we want to see them grow in holiness. We want to see reconciliation here. Gentleness, meekness. Again, consider the example of Christ and the way that he often speaks to crowds who literally want to murder him. Patience. Oh boy. Let me give you a definition of patience. This is from a guy, Jeff Mannion, who's a pastor in America. This is a great definition. Patience is the virtue of dealing with an annoying person for an extended period of time without being nasty or writing them off. And when I hear that definition, I go, gee, I struggle with this. The virtue of dealing with an annoying person for an extended period of time without being nasty or writing them off. Right? Because it's tough when they keep doing the same thing, when they're always late to the team meeting, when they're always speaking in this certain way, and I really wish they didn't. 
when they just keep pushing my buttons and it seems like they have it out for me. But patience is the virtue of dealing with an annoying person for an extended period of time. They keep doing it, yep, for an extended period of time without being nasty or writing them off. And remember, the Colossians had their barbarians and their Scythians, the bogans of the ancient world. I'm sure that this required a lot of patience. Again, consider how patient the Lord is with us in our sin. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is willing that none should perish. Any second that we sin, God has the right there and then to snuff us out. Um, we, are, we are suspended over hell, as it were, held only by the hand of God. And he has the right just to go any moment we sin against him or others. And he doesn't. He is immensely patient, slow to anger. And then one more quality we'll look at. Verse 13. We do all of this bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Forgiveness. And you know what this is doing here at the bottom of the list? It's saying there is no get out of jail free card. You know when you're playing Monopoly and like your little brother or your little sister is like, ha, 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 go to jail. And then you've got, ah, I've got the card. I don't have to go to jail. This doesn't apply to me. There is no get out of jail free card here, right? Because we might say, oh, I am happy to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient to people who are different to me and occasionally cheese me off or whatever. Yep, that's great. As long as they don't intentionally hurt me. Forgiveness even to people who intentionally hurt us. No, 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 but they went out of their way to do it. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point of forgiveness. We forgive, or give me one good reason to. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Right, in fact, if at the end of the day, and forgiveness sometimes is a process, right, but if at the end of the day you can't forgive someone, especially someone who's part of this family, maybe it shows that you never grasped the forgiveness of Christ in the first place. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know that parable that he tells where there's the, the guy who owes his master some small amount of money and then the, the master goes, yeah, I'll forgive you, you don't have to, to pay it back. And he's like, "Ooh, that's great. And then he goes and tries to extort another amount of money from his own slave. And the master comes along and goes, you, what? <laughs> and that's exactly right. If we can't forgive someone else, then have we truly understood forgiveness in the first place? Are we forgiven? Because think about it this way, for God to forgive us, what did it cost? The life of his only son. This was the eternal plan of God before creation, to give the life of his son for us and for our sin. Uh, we owed a debt to him that we could not pay. A life debt. That our rebellion against him and our rejection of him incurs a life debt. We owe him the life that we have taken for ourselves and squandered. But then God allows his son to pay that cost for us. That on the cross, Jesus pays the debt we owe to God. He takes the judgment we deserve. And when someone sins against you or me, hurts us even intentionally, there is a debt, isn't there? There is a cost. Maybe what they've taken from you 
is the respect that's owed to you. They've said some things and you just go, I feel so disrespected. Maybe what they've taken from you is actually something material or financial. Maybe what they've taken from you is something social and, and like they've embarrassed you in front of other people and, and now your dignity is on the line. There is a debt now and they owe you. Forgiveness is when we say, I'll cancel the debt. I'll cancel it. You don't, you don't owe me anymore. You don't have to pay me back. I'm not going to hold this over your head anymore. In fact, I'm going to treat you with respect and positive regard. Might not trust you. <laughs> That's okay. But, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to hold this over you anymore, brother or sister. That's forgiveness. And then we keep the case closed. And when we do that, it shows that we've really got the gospel, doesn't it? When we can do that to someone who really hurts us. And when a family can do that in amongst all the different relationships and hurt and difference and difficulty, my goodness, what a picture. In fact, that's a picture of love, true love, not sentimental Disney princess love, real love that costs. Hence why you get in verse 14, above all these, put on, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. This is costly love, the kind of love that God's family shows to one another because they're in Christ. And why do we do it? To point people to Jesus. To show people the all-sufficiency of Christ and the kind of family that he creates. Here's kind of the summary. Put on, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, even to those who are different. And I wonder what will you do with this now? If indeed you are part of this family in Christ, what will you do with this? And remember our comments before about um, trying to connect and be involved with people who are different to you. Keep that in mind. But bear in mind that as you do that, those qualities on the left are going to be increasingly important. And I want to just get you to ask two questions of yourself before the Lord. Uh, one would be, over the last year, uh, is there, say, one of these qualities that you've really seen the Lord grow in you? This has been a weird time, hasn't it, over the last year? It's been bizarre with COVID and isolation and live stream church and then gathering over two congregations. It's been weird. Um, but despite that, have you seen the Lord grow one of these in you? If so, praise God, that's awesome. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And that is a gift to all of us. How good is that? So ask that first question. Is there one of these that perhaps the Lord has grown in you? The second question is kind of the flip of that. Is there one of these that over the past little bit of time you've really struggled with? Maybe because of your own sin or maybe some way in which someone is sinning against you? Is there one of these you really struggled with? If so, take ownership of it. Confess it to the Lord. Ask for his forgiveness, which he always gives us in Christ. Ask for his help through the Holy Spirit. And then consider what step will you take? And probably it will involve a step towards someone who is a bit different to you. Just to close this out, um, I'm convinced, I've been praying and thinking about this this week, I'm convinced that this is so important for us to get coming into the next little season of church. Okay? Because 
hopefully before long, COVID is done with and we can gather all as a church again and be one big happy family and that will be very good. If we don't take this seriously, I actually think it'll be the death of our church because we won't be the sort of family that anyone actually wants to be a part of. We'll just be clusters of little people that aren't genuinely connected in each other's lives. On the other hand, if we do take this seriously, we can be the kind of family that shines who Christ is to the world in a way that nothing else simply can. Get a picture of that. Get a picture of what it would be like to be part of a family that increasingly takes this seriously. And I know we do to some extent already, but increasingly takes this seriously. Would you want to be part of that family? How would you feel about inviting your neighbours to be part of that family? How would you feel about inviting people in the community to be part of that family? It takes a step on the part of each of us. Not just me, not just Rob, not just Andrew, not just ministry leaders, each and every one of us. What will you do? Let's pray about that together. Lord God, uh, there is so much in this. Um, yeah, I just pray that you would be the one to, to speak to each of us uh, and to show us by the Holy Spirit what you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to share in communion now, which is remembering this, this glorious gospel reality and what Christ has done. So the helpers are going to come and, and pass out the bread and juice. They're in their little packet. Uh, yeah, I might grab some questions afterwards. Good idea. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, we're going to hear a song. Um, this is a chance to reflect on the gospel. We're going to share in communion. Um, and then what I might do, it might, yeah, take five minutes questions, if that's cool, after the song. Um, and then um, Sky will come and dismiss us.